So we're going to be baptizing people, hopefully, we're going to be baptizing people uh, three Sundays' time or two Sundays' time, the 26th, the last Sunday of the month. And I just thought it'd be good for me to talk simply about baptism and specifically the question of when God expects a person to be baptized. When should they take the plunge, as it were? Now, in the passage that we like to call the Great Commission, uh, can you remember what three things, now Marie's got some smarties down there, what three things does Jesus mention that make up discipleship? In the Great Commission, what three things, before you look it up, can you remember that Jesus mentions are the elements of discipleship? Fads? Give us one, yeah, just give us one. Preach the gospel. Okay. All right, okay. I'll, we'll go for um, baptize. Jesus says baptize, doesn't he? So, packet of smarties for the fads. Anyone else? Back, Simon? Teach. Okay, so baptize. He says, teach them as well, doesn't he? We'll put teaching. And then someone said, go. All right. Well, that's, well, actually, we'll turn there, shall we? Matthew 28. You're confusing me now. Uh, well, it was, a, it was a tie between Simon... What well, one smart? <laughs> yeah, Stephen and Stephen and Simon. All right, Matthew twenty-eight, the Great Commission, starting at verse sixteen. Now I think Andy called it out, but I'll just let you kind of just wait there and see if Andy was right. Matthew twenty-eight, verse sixteen, the Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to where the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now these are the original eleven disciples, and some doubted. Doubts can creep in, can't they? Even when these first disciples were fortunate enough to be face to face with their resurrected saviour who they've been following for the last three years. They've seen him die, they've seen him resurrected, yet some doubted. Even when they've got face to face with Jesus. Can you be, can you still be a disciple of Jesus and have doubts? Yes, absolutely. Doubts may frustrate our faith, but they don't have to have the last say, do they? Remember that just as these first disciples stood in front of Jesus you too are able to come before the throne of grace at any time. You can come home to the throne at any time. And not only that, but you also have the indwelling Holy Spirit inside you. The Bible says that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So you can overcome these doubts, just like they did when they had Jesus standing in front of them, and like they did later on as well with the indwelling Holy Spirit. So verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. Now Jesus did say go, but this is not part of my discipleship list, okay? 
He said, go. Is he just talking to the ones that didn't doubt? You guys, the ones who didn't doubt me, you go and make disciples. No, he's talking to all of them, even if you have doubts. Jesus still trusts you and sends you to go. Now that word go can make us feel quite uncomfortable, can't it? We like the word come and gather. The Bible talks a lot about coming to God and gathering with one another, even more so as we see the day approaching. And do we see the day approaching? Oh, possibly. So expect to gather more, perhaps, in the day and to come to the Lord and gain strength and encouragement from your doubts. But also, he says, go, and that can be quite uncomfortable. But I think the green, we the green, are entering a new season where we will be gathering more, perhaps, to pray, and also we will be expecting each other to go, to step up our going as well. So more on that another time. All right, he's told them to go. Um, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That word there is ethnos, meaning all types of people. Ethnicity, that's where we get our word from. Go to all types of people, creeds, nationalities, and make disciples. Now, what is a disciple? I thought, we're running out of time, but basically I was going to ask you to tell me what you thought a good disciple was. But, cut a long story short, probably a devoted follower. Uh, An enthusiastic follower, a faithful follower, is a disciple. Does Jesus want disciples? Yes, go and make disciples. Faithful or devoted followers. Okay, Go and make disciples. Um, Now here's the first one. Baptising them. So we've got baptised there. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them. We've got that. To obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the three things that we've got that Jesus says, go and make disciples by baptising them, two, teaching them, three, which I think you called out in your Andy, obey, obedience. Okay? These, These are the three things that I notice Jesus says to make disciples. Baptise, teach, and obedience. Now, I wonder if you personally would keep them in that order that they appear. From your own understanding and experience, would you put them into a more suitable chronological order? Would you prefer to have teaching at the top and then maybe some obedience before you get to be baptised? Yeah? Does that feel more comfortable as a whole? Well, for now, let's just trust Jesus knew what he was saying. Okay, and we'll keep it in that order, and we'll have a look. Now, I wonder, from your knowledge of Scripture, is there another element of discipleship that the Bible would put in this list? Perhaps even before baptise. From your knowledge of Scripture, is there something the Bible would put that would be necessary before you baptise someone? repentance, believe. Okay. All right. Turn to Acts chapter 2. You're both right, but let's see which one we come to first. Believe or repentance. Acts chapter 2. Is there anything that the Bible places on this list before 
baptism. All right, Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Now, how long was it between the disciples, the 11, being given the Great Commission to go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey? How long was it did they have to wait before they actually baptized their first disciple, their first new disciple from the Great Commission where Jesus ascended? How long was it till they actually got to baptize their first new disciple? Any ideas? Pentecost, which was how many days away? Ten. Ten days from when Jesus ascended to when Pentecost happened, that Sunday morning, about nine o'clock in the morning, they got to baptize their first disciple. Okay? And Peter stood up and gave this amazing, probably his first open-air sermon ever, this explanation of why the Holy Spirit was filling these new believers and what they're experiencing. He explained why Jesus came, why Jesus died, why he, he rose again, why he ascended, and what was going on. And then let's just turn to the very last sentence of his sermon, Acts chapter 2, verse 36. It says, Peter was, Peter was explaining, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. So there we have it, repent and be baptised. So according to Peter, what should we add to our list before baptism repent so I'm going to put that as zero okay repent what did Peter mean by repent turn from your sins the word repent in Greek is metanoia you've probably heard this before it means to have a strong change of decision that causes you to change direction Let's just say someone was dying, it's a bad, bad phrase of term, that someone was dying to go on a parachute jump. Okay? And so they'd, they'd saved up for it, they'd been hoping for years, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, and he's done it. He goes up in his plane, he's had the training, gets there ready, the, the uh, doors open up, it's all ready, the green light goes, he's been trained, he knows what to do, he's got this, the parachute on, and all of a sudden, oh. He sees the going out there, he sees the clouds, he sees the, sky, the, the, the earth down there, and he starts to think, oh, I can't do this, I can't do this. He's got the instructor going, go on, you can do it. You know what to do, and even pushing him slightly. And he's going, no, 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 no. He says, in the end, no, I can't do it, I can't do it, that's it, I'm not going, that's it. And he goes, takes the parachute off, and sits back down. That person has repented. They've had a, they've had a change of mind that has caused them to have a change of action, a change of attitude, a change of thinking. That is repentance, a strong decision that leads you to do something, change your direction. Probably mentally, emotionally, physically as well. Repent and be baptised. And so when Peter calls the crowd to repent, suddenly people are realising, God, I'm a sinner. I thought I was righteous, I thought I could do good works, but I need a saviour. Jesus came to save me. He did take on my sins. 
I realise that now. I was wrong. God, you are right. When Jesus said, you love me, that you sent your only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, I realise that that's true. And I choose to believe in Jesus and no longer perish but have eternal life. I changed from what I was thinking and doing to now changing to your way, Jesus. And that's what was happening in the crowd. They were repenting. Okay. When you really change your mind about something, it's going to change the way you think about it, talk about it, feel about it, and act about it. And so this crowd on that day were having these kind of thoughts. Let's read what happened. Verse 38. After Peter made this announcement, Peter replied, Repent. They said, We've been cut to the heart. What do we do? And he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all who call on the Lord their God. Sorry, all, sorry for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now, just like Jesus had said to Peter just weeks before in the Great Commission, he said, go everywhere, to everyone. This promise, Peter is explaining, is for you and for everyone else, everywhere, for all time, Jesus said to the end of the age, for all whom the Lord will call. And the question is this morning, have you heard the Lord call you? Have you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ explained and you felt cut to your heart to the point where you thought, I need to make a decision. I'm sensing that I need to change, to turn to God. If you've ever had that, then you have heard the call of God. The promise is for you. And Peter said, repent and be baptised, every one of you. And in verse 40 it says, with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 baptisms, that's a lot of baptisms. Can you imagine if each one told their testimony and chose a hymn? <laughs> Have they followed the steps that we've seen here? And where are these 3,000 on their journey? According to our, our chart here, where are these 3,000 right there on that day? Have they repented? Yeah. Have they got baptised? So they're here, aren't they? On that day, that's, that's where they get to. And what we hope is then they will begin to be taught and begin to obey. That's the hope, isn't it? Not everyone will, we know. But that's the hope. Will they, those 3,000, probably go on to have multiple doubts and be disobedient? Will they? Probably. Yes. Can they still be disciples with doubts and disobedience? Yes. You know, even Peter, he made a big discipleship faux pas, didn't he? And got publicly rebuked by Paul. Do you remember that? 
Peter got told off in public by Paul. Peter, he made a mistake. Should he have not been baptised all those years ago because he made a mistake later on? No. Should we automatically think, in hindsight, I guess I wasn't ready to be baptised if I later have doubts or disobey? No. If we've genuinely repented and been baptised, do acts of disobedience later on suggest that we were rather rash in our decision to be baptised? Well, worldly logic tends to make you feel like that, doesn't it? But we overcome that lie with the truth that baptism is a gift from God for our initial response to his amazing grace. In God's eyes, baptism is the next immediate step after repentance. It's only when we try and reorder this, these things here that we assume that baptism should actually be further down the list. We wrongly see baptism as something to work towards. It should be down there. When actually baptism is, is the beginning. It's the gift from God that he says, great, you've turned to my son Jesus, now enter into baptism with him. Die with him so that you may raise to eternal life along your journey of being taught and obeying. Okay. Baptism is something that we begin with and then we and God build upon. Not something we work towards. All right. So we've got zero to three. Is there anything else on our list that Scripture would add to this list, do you think? Anything before repentance, perhaps? Who was it that called out believe? Was it, was it Chris or was it Alan? I think it was... Oh, sorry, it was Mike. All right. Okay. We know, well, to find out, we need to hear from someone who definitely wasn't baptised on that first Pentecost Sunday. He might have been there, but he didn't repent and he wasn't baptised. Who was that? He was actually one of Jesus' worst enemies. Yeah. And then he became one of Jesus' best disciples, didn't he? So we're going to hear from Paul if he wants to add anything to this list. All right. So... Turn to Acts 19. Acts chapter 19. As an aside, if someone is guilty of recently murdering people, let's just say last week they murdered someone or murdered a few people, and then they turn up in church this Sunday, hear the message, they believe and they repent, when should they get baptised, according to Scripture? Straight away? They shouldn't wait a bit to find out if they've stopped murdering? No? Well, Paul was in that same position, wasn't he? He'd gone from persecuting and even having Christians killed to days later becoming one and getting baptised. Doesn't that sound crazy? Not to God. Okay. How long was it that Paul had to repeat, sorry, wait for repentance to baptism? I'll let you find that out. It's not actually that clear, but you'll be surprised. All right. So, anyway, Acts 19, verse 1. This is what Paul would add to our list. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. 
There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. We haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, okay, which we've got on our list. But he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. So these people had repented and they'd been baptised. Both requirements on our list, but what was missing? What was missing in their baptism? Holy Spirit, yeah. Anything else? Belief in Jesus. So where on our list do you think we should put belief in Jesus or faith? Believe in Jesus, faith? Where should we put that on our list? Where would you, where would scripture suggest it would come? On the top. Okay, we'll put minus one. Should we put belief? Okay. These God-seekers had repented, but not through faith in Jesus. So they'd not yet received the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's a lie that all religions or good deeds lead to God. They don't. The Bible says there is only one name by which man may be saved. Someone could be so sorry towards God, but if they don't come through Jesus, they won't be saved. Only by one name, Jesus Christ, can a man be saved, it says in Acts 4.12. And Jesus said, no one can come to the Father except through me. So repentance on its own is not enough. It must come because of and through faith in Jesus. We'll put belief in Jesus. Okay? So here, these 12 people in Ephesus have been baptised by John or in the style of John the Baptist, which is repentance. And they had repented, but they hadn't fully understood that they needed also to believe in Jesus, in whom John had been pointing to. And, even the, so, and so even though they had already been baptised, they got baptised all over again, this time having a personal belief in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. And what a difference that made. Let's read what happened to them immediately after that. Remember, they've already been baptised, but not in Jesus. Just see what the difference, the belief in Jesus makes in baptism. Verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Now, they too were now enjoying the promise that Paul had mentioned at Pentecost, the filling and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which Colossians says is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what they received. Isn't that wonderful? So from what we've observed, is a personal belief in Jesus at the time of baptism a necessary requirement? Yes. As well as repentance... A belief in Jesus is a necessary requirement for God's ordained baptism. Okay? If there's no faith in Jesus from the person being baptised, 
then, it, then is it a valid baptism in the eyes of Jesus? So if we look at our list then, okay, what two things are required before baptism? Before, you, before someone can be baptized in the eyes of God, what are the two things they need? Believe in Jesus and to repent. Okay? Faith and repentance. So, here's a tricky one. For those who are wondering if they can be baptized as a believer, an adult and believer, having been baptized as a baby. You know, I was baptized as a baby. Can I be, can I be re-baptized now that I'm a believer? Well, what might Scripture say to them? When you were a baby, did you have faith? Did you believe in Jesus and had you repented? No. So, what did Paul do when he met these Ephesians who had been baptized but they had no faith in Jesus at the time? He rebaptized them, didn't he? He got it done right. And what might we say to someone who has been baptized as an adult? not as a baby, but as an adult, but at the time, they didn't really understand why they were being baptised. They just felt pressured into it. Gone with the flow. They hadn't repented. They kind of had a kind of an understanding of Jesus, but not a true faith. What do we say to someone like that who's been baptised as an adult, but at the time, they didn't really understand what was going on? Baptised? Yes. Would Paul say, come on, let's do it properly this time. Do you believe? Have you repented? Come on. Isn't that good news? Okay. So you probably know this already, but looking at our list, all right? When a person comes to believe in Jesus and there's genuine repentance, what time scale does the Bible suggest from belief and repentance to baptism? What sort of time scale? does scripture suggest is a good waiting period from these two to that? Yeah. Well, in our Pentecost Acts 2, it said that day, didn't it? That day, 3,000 were baptized and added to their number. Okay, so I'll put... You turn to Acts 16. That day, we'll just, have, we'll just see another, another word. Acts 16, verse 29. It says, The jailer called for lights. This is Paul and Silas in prison. Remember, they were singing, worshipping God at midnight, suddenly an earthquake, and all the bars and the chains fell off. But they didn't escape, they stayed there. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then, the, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptised. So I'm writing immediately uh, and then checking how to spell immediately. And if you read other places where baptism is mentioned in Scripture, you'll see the same thing each time. Okay? But I wanted to finish by letting the Bible pose us a question. 
Let's finish by turning to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse halfway through verse 29. The Spirit told Philip to go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran to the chariot and heard the man in the chariot. He's, a, he's an Ethiopian eunuch in charge of things at the palace in Ethiopia. The, Philip ran to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. It said he was led like a lamb or sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? We know it was talking about Jesus. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with the very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptised? Now, in sharing the good news of Jesus, Philip obviously had stressed the importance and the urgency of believing in Jesus, repenting, and being baptised. Okay? For the eunuch to turn and go, Oh, there's water! What's stopping me? Verse 38, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. But the question I want to close this message is from the eunuch's words. He said, what can stand in the way of me being baptised? Have a look at that list. What stands in the way of you? being baptised, if you have your belief in Jesus and you've changed, you've repented and turned towards him and intend to follow him. What can stand in the way?